The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Perish the thought, Kev. I should ever be slightly flippant in the intro, but last week I, I probably should underline the fact that the the London gig, the first anniversary show that we're recording at the House of Photography of 30th uh, of, of this month, is a long do, not a short just meet us for a beer and packet of peanuts do, yeah? Correct. Okay. All right. Correct. Just, I want to underline that. Um, but no, we can't lay on lots and lots of booze. For starters, I don't think the House of Photography, which I will call the hop from now on, would allow it. And two, you're still in a store. Big, granted, but there are members of the public. <laughs> I'm not sure they'd want you wandering around drunk. And three, Kev and I are not getting married. So uh, a three-course sit-down with party poppers is not quite what we were planning. But, but, <laughs> what we are planning is this. We're going to be in the store from three now, aren't we? We are. Three o'clock. Um, we'll be there. We need to set up and do all that kind of stuff. We yeah. all have a few bits and pieces. I've got some. Um, we've got JP coming with his um, simpler yeah. straps to throw away. You can't ask him for them before the show starts. So no. That's not fair. Absolutely. He will. Um, we'll have him on the podcast. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll be like one of the merch merch people, won't he? Throwing his merch. S- straps out. Merch. Who wants a strap from <laughs> from JP? That sounds terrible, though. Doesn't uh, it? I, I also <laughs> have um, a couple of t-shirts and some hats from Alien oh, Skin Exposure, that's nice. who are no longer called alien skin exposure they are now called exposure <laughs> so are they just palming you off with our old merch uh, they actually sent it for the x weddings festival oh did they but right, okay it turned up too late so um thanks to um good old hmrc and postage taxes oh. so um i have a few of those to throw away and we will we will have a um uh, selection of uh, little drinks and yeah perhaps some nipples but, but, but three three o'clock though we're, we're there the show starts at six fifteen, slightly earlier now okay only by quarter of an hour but but slightly earlier the store's closing uh, as uh, le- later than normal. It's going to be closing at 8, Yeah, isn't they're it? keeping it open yeah, for us. Open, especially for us. Yeah. So if you turn up from sometime from 3, then you can sit down and have a chat with us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we we'll thought we'd, just, we'd open it up a little bit more and spend more time with you. Yes. And then, Kev, then, where are we going? Then... The good ship Gemma. <laughs> oh, bless Gemma! Bless Gemma! She's great. She saw me. Uh, she she eavesdropped on the conversation you and I were having at yeah. like eleven o'clock the other night. Oh yes. And I was I was like, oh, when we were panicking, and yeah. you know what we're going to do? Well, we just couldn't find a pub large enough that wanted to accept the amount of people that might descend upon well, them it, after eight o'clock. It was the fact that you know we've bad had, planning. We've had obviously. well, I don't think it's bad planning. It was it's fortuitous that we've had so many good, gracious yeah, people yeah, who yeah, want to come yeah. along. So Gemma, in uh, bless her lovely heart, has um, gone ahead and thought, right, leave that to me. And she was straight in there. She was in there. <laughs> she was in there. Right. Yeah. And so we have reserved a space at the O'Neills on Wardour Street, which is. <laughs> Uh, pretty much opposite the gates of Chinatown. Yeah. So it's uh, a big old place. Oh, it's a huge place. Yeah. So we've we've got space there for around about hundred people Mm. reserved. I mean, it's it's a big pub anyway. Uh, One thing I will say though, if you are coming along, (laughs) is you need to be in by nine pm. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And if you if you're youthful of looks. Yeah, then bring, bring ID. Bring ID. Yeah. It won't be a problem to me. Yeah, Obviously, me. Kev's a lot younger than me. So. me. They um, so by nine o'clock you need to be in, and 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 that's only because they charge a door fee otherwise. Um, because although we've just reserved space, we haven't reserved uh, access or anything like that. So come along. Um, we will be there, O'Neill's on Wardour Street uh, from eight o'clock ish, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see you there. Yeah, we'll see you there. The Fuji Cast. So well, there we are. All that stuff said. Let's start this week's rather different show. Different because we thought we'd take you in. Our our suitcases to Switzerland, uh, where we were filming and photographing a wedding together. Our usual recording uh, day was out, so uh, because we were due to be out of the country. So this week you have, you know, chaps on tour, as it were. 
Um, but rest assured, we have an interview this week with a, get this, a Swiss roll to it. That's oh, flat. was that a joke? <laughs> Uh, that, that was absolutely terrible. I thought you were going to do a jingle of no. some kind. And we have some of your questions. <laughs> Rubbish. <because laughs> Rubbish. We have some of your questions because we took them with us at the start of this sort of five-day extravaganza that we had. It all starts out on cold Wednesday morning just after six o'clock in Malmesbury. Why do you always go to the airport 100 hours too early, by the way? What? Better than going late? <laughs> Gotta be there. I like to get there so I can look at all the other people panicking as well. <laughs> Morning, Kev. This is all my clothes, anyway. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, it's fine. It's good. Do you want to put your bag in, or...? Uh, Have you got a passport? I have. It's a little double-check. Have you got your your money? I had the most rotten night's sleep. I never sleep before flying, because I'm always thinking I've got to get up early. No, me too. So I'm I'm going out of Malmesbury, normal direction. Yeah, back towards him before. You used to be a bit nervous about flying, didn't you? But you're you're totally used to it. You're 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 off that now, aren't you? You don't because once upon a time you used to have to used to be like like the A team. You have to oh, somehow somehow tranquilise him to get him on an aircraft. Valium, half a bottle no, of no, wine, sh- beer. No, 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 no. What? You shouldn't tell people all the things you were taking when you were. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Half ba- a bottle of wine. Ba- bad for your health. Yes, scotch. Quite- uh, yeah, plenty of that. <laughs> but you don't do any of that. He he was like the the picture of sobriety as <laughs> as he got on the aeroplane. Yeah, yeah. Unlike somebody else who was near me. Morning, morning. E and D, isn't it? We're going to fly to the same, my colleague, Captain Phil Clark and Katie Charlotte Felix and Demi are in the cabin to look after you. Do you think the captains go to a special school where they learn to speak sort of Captainese, you know, because they, they always sound like really relaxed, don't they? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard this flight to any of the, they, they have a particular language, don't they? They are very, very I wonder if Do you think I, they're the same with their lovemaking? I, uh, darling, uh, Will's down. <laughs> <laughs> cabin crew to... What's the phrases they use? I don't know, but I, whatever it is, I've stopped thinking about it in the right right context. <laughs> but my, I have friends who are flight, uh, who are pilots, and yeah. they say that they they are trained to have a calm voice. They? they may not sound calm on the pilot on the cockpit, but everything that they say over in the, the PA. Uh, oh, so in the cockpit, all could be going mental. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they, my God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never seen that light before. Yeah. Bing. <laughs> Hello, this is your captain speaking. Oh, we saw the famous three bings, didn't we? Well, we didn't see them, we heard them. Well, we heard them, rather. We yeah. did, yeah. Yeah, we, we heard see, the three Ke- bings. Kevin told me on, on takeoff that if there's a third bing, we're in trouble. And blow me, we didn't hear a third bing. We did, but not at takeoff, because then no, I would have true. been, like, that would have been it. I'd have grabbed the... the would you have held my hand? No, I would have grabbed your beers and <laughs> thrown them down my throat. <laughs> but we did, we got a bing, bing, bing. And I did, didn't I tell you, you, ages ago when we yeah. talked about it, I said if there's three bings in succession, that means something out of the ordinary has happened in the cabin. Yeah. And sure enough, a man had collapsed. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he was good. As, he was fine in the end. Yeah, um, was. But the the air conditioner, the air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> what the what? <laughs> the air flight attendant, you mean? Yeah, the flight attendant, the air conditioner, the flight attendant pressed the button. Yeah, bing, 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 bing. Yeah, yeah. And we went into a steep dive. No, we didn't. <laughs> it was fine. Um, I was just waiting for the. the I, I just wanted them to say, "Is there a doctor?" On yeah. Board? Would you have put your hand up? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have a go. <laughs> I'll have a go. I've done CPR three times in my life. Oh God, none of them. And none it, of them have worked though, have they? Not very successfully. Oh. Yeah. 
yeah. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't have been the right candidate. Okay. But yeah, three bings. Very exciting in a terrifying way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Geneva, where the local time is approaching one o'clock, one hour ahead of the UK. Look at that, Kev. As if by magic, we've travelled 540 miles in a mere matter of seconds. At the speed of podcast, they call that. A little further into our show, I'll be talking to Emma Wilson today from Story of Your Day. She's a a former TV news anchor and video reporter who now lives in Switzerland with her husband and young family. Told you it was a proper Swiss edition. She's uh, set up a wedding and commercial film company and also trains future filmmakers. You'll hear from Emma in a while, but let's, as always, get to some of your questions that you've been emailing to click at fujicast.co.uk. Keep them coming. We love to hear from you. The Fujicast. Right, we have a, a couple of questions about um, which are which are very appropriate to uh, squeeze in between um, us taking you on our Swiss tour. Um, from Henry Braithwaite. Hi Kev, hi Neil. One of my highlights of the week starts early, you two. If that isn't a reason to get a question out, I don't know what is. Or read out, he means, I think. I have a question about travelling light. What's the minimum gear you travel with when you photograph overseas, chaps? My main concern is having any gear separated on an aeroplane. And we talked about this, didn't we, as we were getting on. I just don't fancy my luck with a bag in the hold. So tips for travelling light. Uh, So what did you take? Well, I was filming with an H1 uh, and uh, X-T3. I took three lenses, 10-24. Did you take a spare camera? 23. No, I didn't. Well, I knew you were there. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I was... Uh, so I took the lenses 10-24, 23, um, and the 56. And that all came in the, in the plane with all us? All in the plane. I had four uh, sound packs with me and a couple of those little Sony mm. TX650s, uh, which are brilliant, so small. Mm. And that was about it, really. I mean, I, I never put anything in the hold that I, I know that I couldn't shoot the wedding with. Would you put a spare camera in the hold? Yes. Yeah. So I put a spare camera in the hold. Um, I didn't this time, much because I also only took two cameras because I you thought, thought you, you were there. on me. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been absolutely <laughs> up that creek if, if one of our cameras were uh, there. Actually, have your camera? No! Did you bring a spare? Actually, I did have an X100F as well in my pocket. Okay. So I bought a brand new big coat, especially to, to hide things in. Um, so yeah, I took a uh, X-Pro2, um, I took an X-T3 and the X100F. And I had a couple of, I had my 56, 23, and I had my reserve lenses were my 50 F2, 23 F2. Oh, I took uh, yeah. 50 as well. Yeah. yeah. And I, oh, actually, I also, we should have talked beforehand. I also took the really? 90 F2 because I wasn't sure oh, how big the room would be. Yeah. yeah, I took four shots with it out of the whole four days. So it wasn't wasn't really worth taking. Um, but yeah, all of that goes in my little flight bag um, along with the spare pair of um, underwear. underwear. Yeah. Uh, I also put a shirt and some trousers. Or oh, no, actually, I travelled in black trousers um, just in case my, my wedding trousers didn't make it through. I put a spare shirt in there. Um, um, toothbrush, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Should toothbrush go in and go in your camera bag then? Have you got that with you? Yeah, no, I took it just in case my right. main bag didn't turn up. Okay, so yeah. you had a, a spare toothbrush. No, I only had one, but it was with us all the time on okay. the plane. Oh, I don't, I don't want to really get, close to you. <laughs> I don't want to get caught on the toothbrush thing. Yeah, so that was it. Yeah, nice and light. You don't want to be putting things no. in the hold that no. you can't shoot the wedding with. There we go, Henry. Oh, and a, a good tip actually: take yourself along uh, one of those um, pouches that you can put your cards in that doesn't RF the, the, the RF one that that will mm. will not get obliterated by X-ray. Even though these days they say that 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 makes no difference to stuff like that. I, I am fairly sure you'll be absolutely fine. Mm. However, RF pouches is an 
extra security level, isn't it? Um, RF mm. pouch for memory cards Actually, pe- after pe- the fact. I've heard that security is fairly good at airports. If you can remember to do this, if you say, look, I'm a photographer and I've got all my cards here, my, mm. would you mind um, taking them around the... So they will take them around the X-ray, apparently. No. It's yeah. got, everything has to go through the X-ray. Well, I've heard people say that no. they'll take them around. The, is that... No, no. That cannot possibly be true because you mm. could put things in it. What, in a small SD card? Well, they, that bloke put stuff in his shoe. <laughs> this is an SD card? Yeah, but you could... Yeah, look, there's 256 gigabytes in some of those SD cards. You can get all kinds of stuff on there. <laughs> I've got my entire music collection on one. Oh, there we go. Craig Tyler from uh, from Bray, just south of Dublin. Hi, Kevin, Neil. I'm a part-time photographer, part-time accountant, longing for it to be the former full-time, but happy with what I have at the moment. I've been building my camera collection. Right now, I'm a Canon EOS R shooter because I love the colours. But I'm travelling more, and with a photo trip to Moscow and North Korea... Oh, that sounds... Oh, I'd love to go to Korea. Those, Well, both those places I'd enjoy. Yeah. Uh, planned for later this year. I know, uh, I know that the lenses I have will be a real bind, so I'm thinking of treating myself to a modest Fujifilm setup for the trip. I've had an X-T1 for a good few years, so I'm not exactly new to the brand. Suggestions, please, for that perfect setup for this trip. I favour 20... So he'll be talking full frame now. I favour 24mm, 85mm and 135 on the Canons. Hmm. Well, I mean, go take the X-T1 if it works. There's no mm. reason not to take the X-T1. Well, low light? It's not going to be so good in low light, though, is it? Well, it depends what kind of photography is going to be happening. I, I, it definitely won't be in any kind of nightclubs in North Korea, that's for sure, no. late at night. Um, Russia, yeah, it depends what time of the year it is, I guess, and you know, if it's winter or summer and all that stuff. But, yeah, okay, so X-T1 is the first sensor, first uh, kind of tranche of sensors. So, yes, it's not as good in low light. But, you know, I, used to, I was shooting at 6400 with that. Um, if you're looking for something that's not going to break the budget so much, maybe look at something like an XE3, which mm-hmm. is a uh, fab little camera. Um, doesn't have flip screen, or it's 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 like a um, it's like a, a little bit between an X Pro and an X100, um, interchangeable lens. Uh, or you could go for an XT30 if you fancy the if yeah. you if you like the the T range um, lenses. Len- lenses you can just very easily. 23, yeah, 50, 56. Uh, 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 well, again, budget and size. So if you don't want the big lenses and you're, you're happy with F2 lenses, I'd go 23 F2, 50 F2. Um, Kev can lend you his 90 mil because he didn't use it. <laughs> yeah, 90 is your 135. That's, 135. that's a big old heavy <laughs> lens, though, so uh, in, in comparison. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's what I would do. And good luck. And I would love to see the pictures yeah. from North Korea. Enjoy that trip. Yeah, and Russia. Kev, here's another appropriate question, a photo travel question from Luke Herard in Addingston which is uh, just outside Glasgow. Huh? Uh, chaps, good show. Promise to listen when, uh, when we've built a new wall between our two fine countries and stored all the scotch away in the same oh, place so, no. so Neil can't get to it. Mm-hmm. I've seen his collection on the YouTube channel. <laughs> this is one about working abroad for clients. I thought we'd sort of save some of these back. You see, these working abroad ones, it's mm. all nicely planned, you know. This is one about working abroad for clients, in particular destination work, which you've been talking a, a bit about of late. What do you do when selling a package to clients? Do you present it all as one big price, which may seem intimidating, or cut it into sections to list things like flight, accommodation, things like car hire and mileage and stuff like that? Uh, well, uh, no, I do. I basically say this is the price for the the work. Mm-hmm. Plus, you need to pay for my expenses, um, yeah. which is. Did you break those down? Uh, well, I just say at a minimum, it's flights, accommodation the night before the wedding, the night of the wedding, depending on where it is. What about your beer rider? 
<laughs> no, I, I don't expect them to pay for that. Um, and you know, sustenance, and yeah. and 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 that's normally fine. I mean, the thing is, if it's European destination weddings these days, the flights are really cheap. Car hire is really cheap. Yeah. Um, so they 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 cover all of that. But norm in terms of the logistics of it, when they when they book the wedding, I say to them, look, when it you know six months before or whatever, I will organize the flights, organize car hire. I'll send you the prices before I press book just so you're happy with it and then I just add that onto the end of the invoice. I don't I don't mm. I don't necessarily expect them to book the flights and stuff. Accommodation wise, more often or not, especially if it's in a French chateau, they will <laughs> um they will just stick me in the in the attic, you know, <laughs> from an older basement or something. They normally find a little cupboard for me to go If somewhere. I were going with you, I'd of course get a lovely view of I'm the I'm not even valley. talking about it. I'm not even talking about it. I'm never going anywhere with you again. You're a profession you're a professional room thief. Room <laughs> my room was haunted <laughs> and had a terrible yeah. view um although the bed was very comfortable yeah my, my room meanwhile looked onto interlaken yeah beautiful yeah um oh and it was, kev loved the car we hired by the way when it comes yeah. to car hire we were both supposed to drive it but i wasn't allowed to <laughs> <laughs> actually do you know one um i said look we we went to one of the nights where we had to cover part of the event in zurich so we toddled off to zurich uh, parked the car up and I said Kev I'll drive back no worries between he said to me oh no it's gone dark now I think you best to drive the car when it's gone light I thought I'm not 17 <laughs> I've driven in the dark uh, I know it's lovely that car little, I know Renault Clio hybrid end, we, I, I wasn't allowed anyway I didn't I didn't. I don't think I sat in the driver's seat I we, wasn't allowed to no that was my seat we did we did um, a lot of miles that week we did like 700 i think it nearly 800 kilometers yeah on one tank of fuel yeah, i know brilliant i didn't think it was where you made me push it through the villages <laughs> <laughs> oh my god there's no clutch freaky you know how to drive an automatic though. oh i do but it's been a long time so i leave it in park at the minute don't i yeah start it up there we go car behind us do you know how we're getting out? No, no idea. Was there, didn't he give us a code on that little piece of paper? Oh, God, did he? So for the door, I think. No, I think it just no. recognises the number plate. Uh, right, reverse. Looking at a camera, this car can practically drive itself. Right, are we 100% sure it's going to go backwards? Hopefully. Oh, no, it's We've got damage. come off now, though. We've got damage collision waiver in shots. No, back into R. There we go. How do I know that's R, though? Well, because you've got a picture of showing you. Oh, I see. <laughs> Stop! Oh, no, joking. What do you make of this place, Kev? This, I mean, later on, this is where it all starts to happen. They're having the uh, pre-match bash. Well, um, it's an American phrase, isn't it? The um, wedding rehearsal. That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's what an amazing place, isn't it? Incredible. You can't see it, of course, but what we can see is mountains, snow, massive lake, Interlaken, and. Uh, it's not the, uh, don't the Olympics happen here? Winter Olympics Winter. were here once. Yeah, in the eighties, I think, or nineties. Oh, a long time ago. Yeah, when I still had hair. <laughs> yeah, I was probably a little tiny baby. Oh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> right, go on. Um, we, we're going to do some questions each. Uh, questions on tour. You can go first. Okay, this one's from James Thorpe, and he says, "Dear Kevin and With Nail." Wow, <laughs> With Nail. <laughs> you ever seen that film, With Nail and I? Oh, is he, uh, he's taking the Mickey. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's brilliant. I'm going to call you with Neil from now on. Uh, and at the end, it says, just kidding, Neil. <laughs> Too late. Wish I'd read that bit out now. <laughs> Happy 2020 to you both, and many thanks for a great podcast. I'm primarily a film shooter, but when I do shoot digital, it's with a Fuji system. My question, I've got the chance to pick up an old Fuji X100, also called the Fine Picks. Mm. I've heard that some people find the, the way the old Bayer sensor treats color more pleasing than the current X-Trans sensors. Any opinion? And would a prosumer like my... I love that word, prosumer. Like myself, even be able to tell the difference. Cheers, James. Because that was the X100. What wasn't wasn't a Fujifilm X100, was it? It was the Fuji Fine... Not even Fujifilm Fine Picks, or was it Fujifilm Fine Picks X100? Was that, is that right? Yeah, it was the yeah. Fujifilm Fine Picks X100. And the Fine Picks was what they used to call all of their kind of point and shoot... So in the old days, when you used to go to an airport and you'd see all of the point-and-shoot cameras during the war, <laughs> uh, it was Fujifilm, you know, had that all sorted out, didn't they? There was loads yeah. of Finepix cameras, and you used to often get a Finepix camera free with a computer and all that kind of stuff. I did anyway. Um, yeah, so it was the original X100 was called the Finepix X100. And yeah, I, I actually think that you had one, didn't you, the original X100? Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. I hated the thing. I mean, I, I nearly threw it out the window of the cockpit and, um, in, the, in the first first time I used it, there was so much backlight coming in and it, this this thing would not focus for love nor money in tricky situations mm, yeah 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 it was um it, it certainly had its it's um it was ambitious to kind of get that to market which they did and and the focusing system was pretty hit and miss right at the beginning but then they did some firmware updates and it, and it was all right i still have mine i still shoot with it occasionally um and yeah i think the original bayer sensor the colors certainly i don't know whether it's necessarily right or wrong to say they were better but some people prefer it over the current ones for sure it's a bit like the canons i mean i always really like the canon 5d colors which were creamy and probably not half as good as the the eventual 5d4 but it just felt like uh, the colors and the camera was it just i don't know i just really liked it and it was old technology and you you shifted past iso 800 it was like a snow a snowstorm <laughs> um yeah it's easy for you to say with nail <laughs> uh, yeah so yes I mean uh, get the X100 I wouldn't be paying a lot of money for it unless actually it was in pristine condition in the original box although I don't have my I get rid of all my boxes but the original box the X100 was very very nice like it was like apple packaging um, and beautiful and if you if it's good condition and it's in that packaging it's probably worth a pretty penny I would have thought well and then be a bit bit antiques roadshow on us what, what would you offer what would you say it's worth in an, an original box well well looked after hardly used I don't, I don't know um, you just throw me right on the spot there I, pfft, grand really Sorry, Lem. Really? <laughs> yes. That's my new with nail voice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't I really don't know. Yeah, I, I would say I would say more than yeah around that. I would say that's that's what I would think right for a collector because it'll be a collector's item. Okay, one from Phil Payne, friend of the show, Phil Payne. You know, I've had this this email sitting in the must-do-soon box for quite some time, so hopefully, Phil, you've not given up on us and you, you will actually hear it. It's quite a long... It's kind of a question, a statement, a question all, all within one. So, loving the podcast, chaps, and listening intently as editing up some lovely landscapes and street portraits, both for a book and hopefully an exhibition. Most of my time is spent these days walking and looking at the world and people, either their dogs, their partners, or just sat and stood looking interesting. 
That sounds like you're an art installation, Phil. It sure beats my years of running around covering news across the globe and now living in, in Wales. Yeah, um, it, it's probably worth saying that Phil worked for... I know we got we got somebody about to invade us, haven't we? That's OK. Um, we're in the depths of this hotel and we thought we'd find a quiet corner, but uh, clearly it's not as quiet as we thought. Haunted. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does look like that kind of place. Terrifying. Have you seen the corridors? This is The Shining. It is terrifying. It is very terrifying. My wardrobe moves by itself in the night. That's because I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> I've found a way into the back of your wardrobe. Think, let's just shift this a bit. <laughs> oh, no. What a terrible thought. I've got a great story about university. It's way too long. We'll, we'll have to do it when we're back in the UK. All right. Well, about what? About the wardrobe? A better wardrobe. All right. Okay. Uh, All right. Called Andrew. <laughs> wardrobe and a boy called Andrew. Stand by. Anyway, uh, back to Phil. My past life in news. Oh, yes, he was a, a war... Um, uh, he was an engineer, wasn't he? Uh, not, not, not a reporter. He was an engineer, worked for ABC, thought, the American I ABC. I thought the, um, the microphone thief. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, in this mail, it does say uh, the microphone that I've managed to buy from him that was used <laughs> in a lot of war reporting. He, he didn't lift... Oh, he, he, he ruining the story. <laughs> he legally purchased, i.e. <laughs> stuffed it in his bag. My past life in news meant getting out of bed at short notice and flying into trouble spots, just like you would in Slough. Often alongside some of your previous interviewees from Beirut to Baghdad, with many stops in between, sometimes not coming home for a month or more. Uh, I miss much of my children's lives growing up. When I see your work, gents, it makes me sad and glad. Oh, you shouldn't feel like that. S- sad for the way I missed my family whilst living in modern history, but glad that you both... This is not, not, not even about him... Glad that you both, along with your families, are brave enough to work at what you do with passion, skill and joy. Do you ever feel lonely in this business? Mm, yeah, I think so. Especially, like, we're away together now, this 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 four or five days in the Swiss Alps. Um, it's such a romantic view and setting, and I'm here with Kev. Yeah. <laughs> and a monk called Min- uh, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? Oh, yeah, there's no context. I've just brought up this monk called Mickey. I actually sneezed at the same time. That was <laughs> I'm just, he, I'm, the, Mickey, by the way, is relevant because he is going to end t- today's podcast. We have a lovely story for you. And, um, and he might actually be listening. Because uh, yeah. he did say to me when I chatted to him um, that he was, uh, he, was, he was a bit of a podcast fan. M- Mitchy is my new favourite person. Mickey. 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 Oh, okay. I called him Michael. Silent C. Oh, those silent letters what's the point <laughs> what is the point no wonder I get things wrong um, yeah he's my new favourite person I might, oh, yeah. I, I'd quite like to take him home oh, yeah <laughs> he's a really nice guy well, he was in your wardrobe too <laughs> oh, no. that's me and Mickey this is getting beyond weird <laughs> Mishi not Mickey. Mickey. Right, Mikey right, Mickey. do you ever feel lonely in this business yes yes uh, especially when I'm travelling um, when I'm travelling alone um, but unfortunately I'm with you at the moment <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it can be and also you know during the week when you're at home in the studio and editing and everything and actually at weddings in, in the UK it is a lonely thing especially if you're you know you're doing the documentary style and you're really interacting and stuff yeah it can be lonely well, yeah. you can spend a whole day without anybody talking to you seriously when you take up the documentary mantle in, in weddings you will spend a day not talking to people yeah. and, and them not talking to you yeah 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 yeah, absolutely and you know and that's, that's good and bad in its own different ways yeah. so yeah it can be lonely for sure but um, I know Phil's now in Wales. He's moved to Wales. Oh, he's from Wales, and he's moved back to Wales from Slough. And uh, he's, uh, he's, he's knocking out some beautiful landscapes. From he wasn't in Slough, he was in Luton. Oh, that's much better. <laughs> <laughs> right, go on, your question. Okay, I've got one from um, Magnus Simonson. 
Mm. Sorry, what was that? Magnus Simonson. No, spell, 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 spell that. M A G N U S I S. No, S I M O N S E N. Magnus Simonson. Okay. Which camera system is well suited for photojournalism? Do you know of any photographers, photojournalists using Fuji? <laughs> <laughs> we don't count. <laughs> um, Do you know of any real photographers, real photojournalists? I think that's. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah, he's on a bit. Yeah, uh, and it's a it's a very fair point actually. Um, uh, wedding photojournalists are real photojournalists. I think we're being a, a, li- a little bit. Uh, well, I'm being purposefully. Um, d- yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Tactless. Uh, I was said. There is uh, a friend of mine in France called Eric Bouvet. E R I C B O. U-V-E-T uh, Silent T on the end Pointless uh, He's a feature film ex photographer And a uh, photojournalist And a very good one as well He's been right around the, the, the globe Documenting battles And everything else in between um, And there's loads of them There's loads Actually if you go to Best place to start looking If you want people You know as an easy access Is go to the uh, Fuji film ex photographer's website And you know Start exploring the other countries uh, You know there's, there's I don't know There's something like 400, 500 photographers on there now And they're all down in categories as well So you'll see news And photojournalism Sports weddings everything else like that and to answer the first part of the question which camera system is well suited for photojournalism well i mean i only use fujifilm so you know that's what i'm going to say obviously but to to kind of within that ecosystem uh, i would say the smaller ones x100 x pro xt range are probably more well suited than gfx xh for photojournalism stills Um, a lot of people these days obviously are doing running and gunning um, filming as well in which case the xh might be the the way forward Um, but any camera system There's, I, I guess the smaller the better and Canon and Nikon they're all bringing smaller mirrorless cameras out nowadays as well so I'm sure there's photojournalists using all sorts have you ever heard of um, a photojournalist in Australia called Gary uh, Gary Ramage don't think so Ramo is known as I think in Australia you have to be have an O on the end yeah. of your name <laughs> Ramo yeah. Kevo yeah, yeah, yeah. Nilo one of our one of our um, uh, what's, what do we call the people who slam the doors on us in the, in the nativity um, rude people <laughs> Neighbours uh, Innkeepers Innkeepers That's it Innkeepers yeah. One of them was Wayno Oh yeah <laughs> Wayno Yeah Well Ramo um, <laughs> Has taken some of the most I mean, he, he still works in um, In some tricky areas in, in the world Including having I th- um, Including having shot this uh, This f- uh, photo um, Documentary piece About a high security prison In, in Australia Where he got uh, You know He was taking pictures uh, from, from quite some distance I don't think that was With a Fuji uh, Fujifilm camera But um, he got a, a lot of um, Trouble with uh, With prisoners For taking their pictures When they were in pens uh, On the air Yeah And sort was, of was, um, he, was he allowed to take the pictures Was he Oh no no the, I mean this was This was oh, a, a editorial Yeah Commission But no the reason I'm saying that That's the kind of work He gets involved in But Ramo was um, using um, An X Pro 2 For an awful lot Of his um, Work when he was abroad Up in helicopters and stuff like that. I, th- I, I don't think he uses it exclusively, but it does prove that um, you know th- those kind of photojournalists think the world of their Fujifilm gear. I, I honestly don't think the brand is is relevant for photojournalists. N- you know, photojournalist like a, a person who's going into battlefields and, and places like that is going to have any pr- preference probably on brand. It's all to do with ability and what they can get, and whether it's small, light, heavy, whatever, whatever they need, they'll go for it. Whichever whichever creed of camera that is doesn't really matter, does it? hotel that place was by the way it was really nice wasn't it and uh, so I'm going to mention it again but uh, I did have the lovely view it was a beautiful view although the corridor outside was a little bit shining wasn't it 
It was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> we had to, there were so there were a couple of kids. We've got to be careful because we can't talk too much about the wedding because it's a private affair. Correct. But there were two children there that were dressed absolutely identically. <laughs> hmm. And I thought if you put them in that corridor with a little trike, <laughs> it would have been a very frightening experience. It was. It was an amazing place, it has to be oh, said. God, yeah. And the food and everything there God. was amazing. The view, uh, it was just... The only thing missing was two foot of snow. Yeah, there was snow on the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I think they, judging by what the client said, that they weren't expecting snow at no, that time of the year anyway. No, so, no. all good. Very, very beautiful wedding. It was indeed. Yes, I'll agree. Right to this week's interview. It's appropriate that it has a Swiss feel. I'd like to introduce you to Emma Wilson, a former news anchor and video journalist in British television, now based in Switzerland. She is uh, an ambassador for women who photo and film, which quote shines a light on some incredible female photographers and filmmakers making their mark on what are considered by many to be male-dominated industries. Emma's work is frankly as stunning as the scenery your eyes are rewarded with as you travel through a most remarkable country. Storyofyourday.co.uk is not just worth a view, but a long, lingering visit where you settle back with a glass of your favourite poison and take in the work of a filmmaker who's truly learned what the movie button was intended for on a DSLR or mirrorless camera. Tell me about your work with the BBC, first of all, so we get a, we get a rounded picture of you, because you were there a fair time, weren't you? I was at the BBC, Reuters, ITV, Sky News for 20 years. Mm. I started off as a reporter, working with a big team behind me, and then I started doing more and more presenting, reading the news. And then I left the BBC and in order to get back to the BBC, I had to take on a job as a video journalist, mm. which to, in my mind was something I really didn't want to do because I'd never picked up a camera to film before in my life. And I really didn't think I'd be very good at it. So how many years ago are we talking about there? That? that would have been about 15 years ago. Okay. And so I was doing some training with uh, another video journalist who told me I had to become one with my camera. I won't give you ex my answer of exactly what I said to him, <laughs> but I was doing it as a means to an end. I was doing it because I wanted to read the news on Midlands Today. Yeah. And within three months, I was reading the news on Midlands Today. However, when they asked me to give back my camera, which was a video camera at the time, I said no, because I found that I loved being a video journalist. I loved being the person that wrote the news, stood in front of the camera and presented the news, filmed everything, edited everything. I didn't have to thank not one other person when I put a news piece together. I'm a bit of a control freak. So I loved that and I really embraced it. And then I became a BBC mentor and a video journalist trainer. So it's interesting because most people would say the anchor is the pinnacle, isn't it? I mean, the thing is, that's what I think I wanted when I was quite young and naive. But... Um, and still, I faced a lot of this when I had to board, which which in the BBC terms is when you interview people. I remember so, that phrase, um, yeah. So I used to be part of that board process to find video journalists. And I used to try my hardest to work out which of those potential candidates were just doing it as a means to an end. Did they really want to be video journalists or did they just want to be able to take a camera person out and never work for themselves, never film themselves, always have a camera person with them or always be an, a news anchor? I was really lucky because I got to do both. 
Um, but I can see the frustration there that there were a lot of people that they desperately just wanted to sit in, in the studio and do that. But I, I loved doing everything. The, the role of, um, of, of being a reporter has changed. There's been a democratisation of the entire medium so that, that people now can work in sound and vision and they're their own producers, their own writers. I, I know the unions hated it. But having the ability to, to be a multifaceted journalist now is really important, isn't it? Let's go right back to when I first did my degree at Goldsmiths. And back then, I could choose TV or radio. Um, I chose journalism as one of my options, but I chose radio. And that's because right back then, I was able to do everything as a radio journalist. I was able to do the interviews, to do the presenting, to do the editing, to do the recording I guess, like a video journalist on radio. So I chose that area because if I'd have chosen TV, I would have chosen either to edit, to film, to produce, to write, to present. And I couldn't have done all of those things. So I chose radio. I mean, this is also another reason why I'm so passionate about audio. But yes, nowadays, to be honest with you, everyone can be a news reporter. Everybody is a news reporter because you know, we're filming or everybody's filming all the time. Everybody generates, it's called, you know, um, user generated content. And even when I was still at the BBC five years ago, we were relying on it quite a lot. And now, now I'm sure that they use it all the time because everyone can be a journalist and yeah. everyone could be a news reporter. Now, <laughs> we're going to make the jump to Switzerland now. I'm not sure how succinct you can be about this because there's a bit of a story behind it. Now you're in Switzerland and this week is a, is a, is a, is a Swiss edition. Um, so I, I want to know the reason why you ended up going from there to there, from A to B. Okay, so I left the BBC to focus on... Um, story of your day because I realised I couldn't do both. And this is the wedding company. That's yeah, important to point yeah. out. Yeah. And so I, my dad didn't speak to me for three months because I left the BBC. And I built up story of your day, and I was doing a couple of destination weddings, but mostly UK weddings. I was based in Yorkshire, and my husband works for Switzerland Travel Centre. And if you cut my husband in half, he has the Swiss flag. He is not <laughs> Swiss, but he thinks he's Swiss, and he kept nagging at me, let's go to Switzerland, let's go to Switzerland. So three years ago in the November, I had 23 weddings to edit. That makes my teeth itch to even oh, think that I had that many word. weddings to edit. And I thought, okay, let's go for six months. I'll ski and edit. Well, I didn't get much skiing in. We threw our children into the local village school where there was no English spoken. And within about three months, none of us had any intention of ever coming home. Uh, so we've, we've remained in Switzerland. My boys speak German, Swiss German and French. And story of your day is I have a great assistant back in the UK. She has built up my SEO. I do now weddings all over the world. But I also have a diff another company called The Story Creatives. And that's my corporate videography arm. And um, I have, thanks initially to my husband's introductions, now I have some amazing contracts. I'm the official videographer for Manlik and Gigiem, which is a big cable car um, system here. Um, I've just been invited to become an official vi the official videographer for CWA. They make cable cars, so I'm going to be wow. filming all over the world. So um, this is very interesting, both because I'm English, but also because I'm an English 
camera person mm. in Switzerland. We've got a press cut pass this weekend because it's the downhill, um, it's the Lauberhorn race, the World Cup downhill race. And it made me chuckle because on my press pass, it says cameraman. I hope you were quick to remind them. No, well, there's no option for camera woman or camera person. This is oh, Switzerland. Oh, right. Okay. So there's the camera operative, I think it's called here now. No, there wasn't that. So what's the split weddings and commercial work? About... 30% weddings, um, 60% corporate, and then I also do evolve videography training, so and solo sessions. So I do one-to-one videography training, and I have evolve videography training. I used to run workshops for women only here in Switzerland, but last November I had my first workshop for uh, couples, um, which went really, really well. You're a trainer, aren't you, with uh, Canon and Sennheiser families, aren't you? They, they're very much involved with you. So I was a beta tester for Instamic, the microphones, and they've made me an ambassador. Sennheiser um, Audio Systems, I'm an ambassador for. Canon, I'm an educator. Um, I didn't go down the ambassador route for a couple of reasons. One, because Canon UK couldn't officially use me because I'm in Switzerland. And it, here in Switzerland for Canon Swiss, I'd need to speak German, which oh, I don't. Okay. Um, but uh, I, yes, I'm a Canon educator. And every year at the photography show, I um, I do a lot of talks and presentations for Canon. So, yes. Yeah, so, and, and I'm also an ambassador now, yes, for women who photo and film. You're known as one of Europe's leading female wedding v- videographers. Does that bring a certain advantage in and of itself, do you think? Being a, a woman in this industry um, does give me some advantages on the on the wedding day, miking people up, for instance. Um, but I also think we do see things differently. We see weddings differently. But I would argue with you on that too, because, you know, I, I've been working on this V-Barn project here in Switzerland, um, and I've been looking after the right-hand side of this lift system. And on the left-hand side, Jungfrau Barn, is a Swiss guy called Christoph. And I don't think he offers anything. You, you might think, oh, it's very technical. We're hanging, off, uh, hanging out of helicopters mm. and um, filming a lift system. And surely it's, it's, you know, it would be better for a male videographer but th- but there isn't any difference. I don't but, see why it would mean make any difference, really. Yeah, but in the wedding industry, well, I think some vi- male videographers say, well, you're just you have something different. You you're a bit more romantic as a woman, yeah. oh, not yeah. me personally, um, <laughs> and you you have a softer outlook, and so your films are maybe less technical and more romantic, and for me, more storytelling. Well, your films are absolutely beautiful. Um, oh, thank they, you. They really are, and we we will of course link to this. Um, for those listening, because you have to see this. I want to actually bring up something that we've talked a lot about, or we seem to have talked a lot about of late. Uh, maybe it's because it's a particular passion of mine. Do you think photographers are missing a trick by not thinking moving image? I think this is really important. When a client comes to me and says, I'm thinking of having a video and no photographer, I say, whoa, don't do that. I think photography is far more important for anyone to have on their wedding day than videography um, and I I've never come from a photographer's background but I just I just feel that I guess I'm quite traditional in that way so I think videography adds to photography and you know it's a bit cliche but if a photo speaks a thousand words then imagine what a film can do but the problem is I I can eat, I can watch a music montage of amazing photographers and their images set to music and find it much more powerful and much more beautiful than a badly made wedding film. Mm. And so I don't think photographers are missing a trick, 
And it's not that easy just to fall into. If you're going to do it well, if you're going to um, do something completely different with photography, and that's that's for me, 50-50s audio, really, really crucial that photographers need to get their heads around um, the audio side of things. Because after all, photographers, they know how to frame a shot. They should know, you know, um, how to get beautiful images. This was the thing that I originally thought I would struggle with when I first started filming. And this is the thing that evolves every year for me. Every year I get better and better and better at that. So a photographer that moves into videography has that as a background. But if they're going to nail videography, they need to get into the audio side of things because without audio, you can't really tell a story. It's interesting because the the audio thing is is what I hear. People that, uh, that make really uh, cracking films such as yourself, they say that's the bit that's the bit to crack first, which I think is alien for a lot of photographers to, to uh, conceptualise, really. So when I was... 18 way back when one of the things I used to listen to in the evenings was the man in black um, and it was a radio program and I used to drive home from being out with my friends without having a drink and um, I used to listen to this man in black uh, it was and they were uh, ghost stories and I was so terrified of getting out of my car when I got back home <laughs> um, because our imagination is so strong and so powerful so I believe that we need audio and I, I like I listen to the Archers every every night. My son is twelve and he loves the Archers. And we argue about what the different characters look like because our imagination sees different things and different mm. people. And I think that's really, really powerful and really, really interesting. And so that's why I think audio is so important. Um, you know, when it's done well in a wedding film, that's why I use a lot of ambient audio um, as well as sound clips. And then. The bit that takes the longest for me is using the ambient audio and the sound clips in order to tell a story and to commit to that story within that within that video. I noticed that about your films that you you think about ambience, and I think a lot of videographers miss that point, don't they? It's what I train um, at my in my training sessions. Um, it's the art of storytelling through cinematic videography, but it is very heavily weighted towards audio. And I'm doing several talks at the photography show in March and they are about audio, how to capture audio, how to use audio um, and how important it is because that's where people to miss it. And I, I really love it when um, people come back to me and they've taken a film that they've already made and they go back and they rework it. Mm. I love it. I absolutely love that. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that. Then, so you're on you're on stage at the photography show in the UK in March. Every day. Brilliant. Do you know which stage? Do you know where? It's the 14th to the 17th of March at the NEC, and I'm on every day. Um, there's one day I'm talking about audio in particular, and on two mornings I am, which is I think Sunday and Monday morning, I'm on the live stage and I'm doing a ceremony setup. So I'll be because I solo shoot mostly, and I use three cameras for my ceremony and speeches. So the audience will be the congregation and I will have 30 minutes to set up my cameras for ceremony explaining as I go what I'm doing with my cameras and what I'm doing with my audio devices and then on the Tuesday afternoon I'm in the pro lounge the masterclass pro video lounge talking about audio so when you lo- so you're going to be talking about this is how I lock off this is the aperture I use all the all the basic tech stuff and and also the logistics of, of where to stick the sound kit as well exactly okay. but I don't get my knickers in a twist about lots of technical things. Um, I never have done. Um, I don't like 
to for people to start glazing over. Um, I keep it very basic. You know, I have often have many videographers talk to me and I actually have no idea what they are talking about. When people start talking about bit, bit rates, I literally fall asleep. So I, I don't get that highbrow. Yes, I'll be talking about aperture. I'll be talking about positioning um, and all that side of things. And I'll be talking about my lens, the, cho- the, the choice of lenses, because I'm also not a prime snob. Um, I'm very much um, an advocate of using zooms, especially during ceremony and speeches. And I have very good reasons for that um but i also appreciate that everyone has their own choices of how they work and you must work um in the best way that works for you well i can promise you one thing emma if you look out a, a, across that audience i'm going to be in the front with, with my little note with my little notepad look look for the board, look, 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 look for the boarding chat with a great beard and that'll be me <laughs> My thanks again to Emma Wilson. And uh, yes, to repeat, we will put all the details uh, on www.fujicast.co.uk in the show notes. You're listening to uh, our Swiss trip, a Swiss special, if you like, where myself and Kev went to um, went to Switzerland to photograph and, and video a gorgeous wedding in a gorgeous country. You know what I thought was funny, Kev? And uh, a sign of looking far too much at Satnav instead of studying maps. Day after the wedding, we still had no idea where we were, did we? No, very little idea of where we were. Well, we did that. That one, the one trip we took, we decided to not go on the motorways, didn't yeah, we? So yeah. that was really nice because we we ended up we had a nice little lunch in this place. We had no idea they where did. it was, and they didn't speak English. Didn't speak English, you, which of course wouldn't expect <laughs> no, them to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we crossed the line from uh, German Swiss to French Swiss. Yeah, there is a line, isn't there? An actual line on the road. Yeah, is yeah. where lots of people running around in circ- going around in circles because they don't quite know what to do. with <laughs> themselves <laughs> and the language changes <laughs> yeah um but no i was fab i really i love switzerland i have to say very expensive place but but then yeah, i suppose beautiful. they have a, a really good lifestyle um it's good very good well done i enjoyed it ditto kev ditto uh, here's two blokes then stood in front of a, a cascading uh, waterfall wondering where the devil they are and and pondering about um, destination weddings these are the alps aren't they i don't know actually. do we know where we are i know switzerland does have the swiss alps of course but i don't know if this is technically the alps it might be we're just, we're kind of between Luzerne and Geneva. About three hours away from Geneva. Look, the, the little roll clouds are just coming down the mountains. Yeah. You can almost reach out and touch them. They look like they're coming right towards us, don't they? It's like Day of the Triffids or whatever that's called. <laughs> Stop Day of the Triffids. So, What's the hardest thing about destination weddings? Sleeping in a haunted hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have the rattle of the pipes? Oh, my word. And also... My uh, wardrobe, which is about 150 years old, I've, I've only used half the hangers. And during the night, the hangers, the free hangers, just kept clattering against each other. No! Yeah. You're joking. Yeah. And of course, it was blisteringly hot. So you had the window open onto the haunted mountainside I, behind you? I didn't. I refused to open the window. <laughs> no, I refused to open the window in case a bear got in. <laughs> <laughs> bear? Honestly. Uh, yeah, it's all right for you with your, your utopian view of heaven. Well, when I open my window, I get what you can hear in the background, which is the, uh, which is the, the, the waterfall. I can just crack it open slightly so there's enough. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's really nice for you. When I open the window, I get the emergency stairs <laughs> on a brick wall. <laughs> no, but seriously, what is, the, what is the hardest thing about destination? Uh, well, if, if it is indeed hard, because I mean, a lot of people would say, well, look, they can't see it. I'm going to describe it. There's a mountain range in front of us, a beautiful lake. It's a snow-capped. Snow-capped, yeah, mountains in front of us. Uh, beautiful lake. It, it, it's kind of that, that turquoise colour that you see usually only on picture postcards and think that it's been uh, adjusted in Photoshop. But it's, it's for real. 
there's the um, the reflection of the the mountains as the sun's coming up now just just now projecting that into the water as well behind us we've got a waterfall um, beautiful old Swiss this is a kind of chateau kind of um, feel to it so anybody listening would think there's nothing to ever not like s- not like or, or find difficult about destination wedding but yeah however I, you know you have to say that this is pretty different and special to most destination weddings the ones I've shot anyway generally destination weddings for me is a Ryanair flight to Toulouse um, a chateau which is always lovely the wedding's always lovely and then a dash back to Ryanair's class 3 class 3 aeroplanes and back to Bristol and you know back home in time to put the kids to bed kind of thing um, but this is different because we've been here for what four or five days we will have been when we go home um, and yeah I mean it has a feel it does have a much different feel to it in terms of working you're right you couldn't be in a more beautiful place could you That's no this is gorgeous yeah. and you got me with you <laughs> how romantic <laughs> <laughs> Pull those bed sheets over, would you? <laughs> We've been saving these up for this week, so thank you to a bunch of you very fine listeners who sent in destination photography questions. Uh, Radomira Alferov from Miskolch in <laughs> Hungary. I think I've got that right. Greetings. I've been listening since November and enjoy the programme you make. I've been recently travelling more to take more pictures since that is the experience I need for the photo work I want to make. You were talking about working more in different countries and I wonder what makes you like to travel. I'm guessing variety. Keep up the show. It's variety, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, of course you all want to see different places and stuff. However, you know, when you're just going to work, it's mm. it's not necessarily a, a jolly. I, you know, I've been lucky enough in my photography career to get to some amazing places. You know, I've been to Japan a few times, yeah, been to America yeah, many yeah, times, yeah. Argentina, all over Europe. Do you think uh, you'd have ever imagined when you were working at Microsoft that one day you would have exhibitions showing your work in Japan? Mm, no. Amazing. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, however, it is challenging. You know, I, I remember being in, Ar- I was in Argentina for 10 days and yeah. bloody hell, I missed the kids and the family and Gemma. Oh, no, you know, no. that was, r- I nearly came back at one point. Oh. And Gemma was on the phone to me, cost me hundreds what of What was pens. she saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she said, don't come back until I've got all my boyfriends out of the house. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum is still here. <laughs> um, so that's that's the that's the challenging part. But yeah. sometimes I, I cast a, uh, an envious eye to the, to the young'uns. That, uh, not that I would ever, not that I would ever not want to be with my family, but no. that you know those of you that are still young and fresh and fancy footloose free and whatever yeah. they call it, yeah, explore, go, don't be afraid, do it. Do you know the greatest thing about travelling is is you see stuff you're not quite expecting. I remember. Do you remember the bar singing? <laughs> okay, so we're we're sat there having a beer, having a chat. It was nice, nice, nice social. Having a beer, were we? Just a little beer, <laughs> and then and then um, pe- people sort of they, there was a tuning for. Yeah. And they just started. Can you imagine this happening in a bar in Slough?
then, Kev, we, we, we met that... Uh, well, she was forthright, girl. Yes. <laughs> Who, when we told her we were from Merthyr Tidville... <laughs> <laughs> Got really angry. No, no, come on, Titful. You're. No, 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 no. You're trying to pull my leg, don't you? You're trying to pull my leg. No, no, it's a real place, Murder Titful. It's a real place. It's a real place. Fancy. Where will you always take the Mickey out of it? Hey, Julio. Cheers. Cheers. Well, new one. You have to do it with the new one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Prost. Prost. What does that mean? Cheers. Prost, cheers. Prost, cheers. Hello, uh, good to good to meet you guys. Mm. Good to yeah. see you. Or and you? Like, good to see oh, she was all right in the end, though, wasn't she? Yeah, she was lovely. Yeah, yeah. she was lovely. She yeah. bought us some. Uh, I gave her your address anyway. She, she bought us a couple of shots, which <laughs> she, she then didn't she drink did. herself. Yeah, that was worrying because we had two very different shots to hers. Yeah, and I thought, hang on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> right, back to some of your your questions this time. As we headed back in the car to Geneva Airport, three-hour drive and one stop at Burger King. Do you know what? I, I, I don't know if you checked your bank account yet but that burger kit I had a what did I have like the vegan curry burger or yeah, something yeah, did, which was yeah. actually really nice yeah. no that was in the McDonald's wasn't oh, it oh that was right yeah because we were eating local curry. weren't we yeah. we, were, we went we went proper Swiss um, so on the way back I had the vegan no, no not yeah, the, the veggie veg- veggie burger with veggie fries burger, and yeah, stuff yeah and uh, do you know what my bank account? I looked at that oh Burger God, King. Don't tell me how much. Fourteen pound fifty. Oh, I thought you were going to say forty quid. No, fourteen pound fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kev does a lot of destination weddings, so I, I was keen to know one thing. Is that the normal length of um, a destination wedding for you in terms of the the day length? Yeah, not far off. I mean, normally you kind of say into the night into the dancing or this is how I do it anyway for destinations yeah I'll start at 10 bridal prep and go through to you know first dances normally at 9 or something and then I'll hang around for a few hours because normally you've got nothing else to do if you're staying at the same place but saying that that was extremely long I would normally be finishing at like 11 or something maybe but what time did we finish? It was, it was quarter past, quarter past half past two, wasn't it? Yeah. When we uh, eventually said that's it. And I think the wedding party uh, it kind of broke up not long after we left it. No, well we were booked till twelve, and we did an extra two and a half hours almost. Yeah, we did an extra two and a half hours, and and actually the wedding planner, bless her, who was amazing, she came up to me at midnight and said, "You guys are finished now. You can you can go." Um, but we had nowhere to go apart from up to the haunted rooms so we stayed downstairs with the safe people where people were <laughs> it wasn't really haunted although did you go in this morning into the the uh, the um, the loo downstairs um, and I was freezing in there wasn't it and there was a kind of strange noise just above the, the in the roof cavity of something moving around up there yeah I think it was moaning myrtle it was moaning myrtle <laughs> what, I, watching you having a pee I think uh, that hotel I I would put that on the scale for highly likely to have haunted spooky things going on definitely yeah if you believe in that kind of thing uh, would you, you do you believe fly coming well place? yeah now for anybody that's watched the Dracula um, series on, on the BBC there's um, uh, the, the, the recent one really really frightening one that part of the the way you know Count Dracula is around is there's a fly and uh, I went back up to the room to change um, 
to put some batteries on charge and I went into the room and I could hear I thought no surely not we're up we're a thousand feet up or however many feet we are up it's so cold middle of January there's not going to be a fly (laughs) Uh, well in fairness I did put a plate of maggots under your bed (laughs) because after the room episode (laughs) and there was a ladybird on my pillow no, I do not believe that, a ladybird. No, honestly, anyway, uh, questions. This seems an appropriate one because we're in Switzerland. From Paul Delia. Um, you've talked a little on the show of late about destination work and travelling, but I wonder if you've considered your moral compass too when it comes to whether you need to travel to work. Kev is now showing strong signs of environmental responsibility by going vegan. And Neil, you're always going on about Greta. So here's my question. It doesn't matter if you're a wedding photographer, a commercial photographer, or even enthusiast, where you make trips to well-known photo locations like India or Iceland. Where do you start to draw the line with what some might say are maybe unnecessary trips yeah I think it's a I think that's a really fair question and a valid question but my my answer would be in terms of environmental stuff I will always do stuff to help the environment where it's in my control you know if 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 there was a tunnel from you know or I don't know a cycle from our house to Switzerland then yeah of course but there's not and so this is the only route this is the only way of doing it so yeah I mean we've got a hybrid car which beeps at you look it's agreeing yeah exactly it's, that was his happy beep 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 look at me I'm on the podcast woo <laughs> um, yeah no I, I think it's valid and you know one of the things that I don't particularly like it sits a little bit uncomfortable with me is the albums I use are Jorgensen albums which are beautiful and that's why I continue to use them uh, but they do come from Australia and there's, there is a footprint involved with that uh, and yes there are British album companies and yes some of them are very good but uh, you know you, you at the end of the day you also have to think about business and, and everything else and feeding the kids and feeding the kids vegan food um, but uh, the, you know at the same point I'm not necessarily uh, you know we keep going on about this vegan thing and, and it's I prefer to say plant based diet um, because you know the fact is the brutal fact is as we drive along this road we are you know there are we're flying we're killing road flies and things like that and that, uh, veganism actually in, in living a pure vegan life is nigh on impossible I would have thought you know just walking down the street you're likely to kill critters oh, do you know I meant to um, ask our newfound friend um, Miki the uh, the monk from the wedding I wanted to ask him no serious you're you're grinning at me but I wanted to ask him that question about because um, I'd had the fly in my room by that stage uh, about um, this this idea of killing animals because they don't believe in that do they the Buddhist faith am I right in thinking they they wouldn't harm another animal living creature uh, well I don't really know that much about Buddhism but yeah I think they, they, they believe that they will be reincarnated and so they try not to uh, you know to step on things and kill animals and stuff because that, that might be them one day which seems fairly logical to me um, and of course video conferencing is, is uh, the way ahead for a lot of people they don't, they don't make long journeys would we ever stop doing things like the Fujicast in Brighton and London and play we've got a London one coming up shortly that's all because we've got people coming across so we're on indirectly now contributing to the, the carbon footprint because um, two or three of uh, the people coming are coming from uh, countries uh, in fact one, one quite a way away we've got Mexico I think JP's coming with some simpler straps we've got Iceland we've got um, a couple from Europe oh, Middle East Middle East yeah we've got somebody coming from uh, Saudi Arabia of all places 
Yeah. Well, pressure's on, isn't it, for that show? Uh, Geraldine Tyler in Portland, Oregon. Just started listening to the FujiCast and love the exchanges you two have. I've only recently started making some money from photography and I guess I'm in that group called Mummies with Cameras, which I loathe. M-wax. M Wax. What? M Wax, they call them on the internet. M Wax. Such a derogatory phrase. Terrible, absolutely terrible. I take baby portraits in the main, as I am a new mum with an 18 with 18 month old twins. I know the subject quite well, being a stay at home mum and devoting all my time to them both. I'm a member of some Facebook forums, but I've been totally put off the idea um, of asking questions by some sneery members. And I have to say, sadly, they are men who question why I should need to make money when I could just enjoy taking pictures. I can't believe there are men that would actually poke their head above the parapet, even if they did believe that. Anyway, so here's a controversial question. Chaps, I'd be interested to hear what any other professional photographers have to say about this. Are my kind, in inverted commas, still looking down, uh, still looked down upon and is photography still considered a male-dominated area? Because it sure as heck feels like it sometimes. You two excluded, comma, I hope. I'm a male. I'm definitely a male. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, you know what she means. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with her. It, it, it it, I mean, the fact is, it is male or dominated, um, rightly or wrongly. That's the fact. The, most of the people I know in the industry are men or male. Um, the, the whole sneery Facebook stuff, and it does it rankles with me as well. It's a terrible thing. And I, you know what? Just rise above it. Be yourself. Make money. Be bloody hell. You know, be proud of making money. And uh, I also hate that the kind of uh, weekend warrior terminology that gets thrown around as well because. You know who who are we and who are they to say that you should run your life, live your life in any particular um, fashion? You know, do do what's right for you, uh, as long as it's within the the ethical boundaries of of the business, you know itself. And, and yeah, just ignore them. They're, they're just, you know what? They're, those go those guys, because in this case they are guys, are just miserable, middle-aged, jealous, old, boring. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I say. Good luck to you. Yeah. All right. Um, hi, Kevin and Neil, in brackets, alphabetical order only. <laughs> As a significantly older boy, just like to say how refreshing it is to hear from two... Uh, oh, the car's joining in again. From two who genuinely seem... That's you speeding each time, isn't it? I'm sorry. I'm trying not to. If you hear boop, boop, that's Kev going I'm over the speed. Go take that police car. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, um, as a significantly older boy, yada, 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 just like to say how refreshing it is to hear from two genuinely who seem to care about our profession. Thanks for the useful and entertaining in interludes. We're, in we're interludes. What's here? here? Now, this is just a diversion. Is it? Oh, hang on. You need to go through the lake. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm concentrating on the orange lines now. What was the question? Uh, we haven't got to it yet. Oh. I have a two-parter, which I'd like your opinion or advice on. Uh, when or if you can fit it in, please. Well, this is a perfect time because we are trapped in a car together. And we're, to and we're just about to go through, through a two-kilometre tunnel, so I'm not sure I'll be able to read. No, it's got illumination in here. Here we go. It's orange, black, orange, black, orange, black, <laughs> orange, black. I'll try and get your question out. Orange is the new black. Apparently. I'm I'm using... I can't see anything now. Can I turn the light on? No, you don't want that, no, do you? I'm using... <laughs> this is brilliant. I can only get two words out at a time. I'm using X Pro 2s. 
um, along recently with an X100F. I tend to carry a camera over the shoulder, lens inwards, where I find it great for quickly raising and shooting from where it's more discreet than hanging from your neck. The issue is that since moving to the lighter cameras from full-frame DSLRs, they frequently slip from my shoulder. I've tried attaching non-slip pads to the supplied Fuji straps, but uh, they, I guess it means the pads, don't particularly stay attached for any great length of time. In your opinion, are either of your, your favoured peak design or simpler straps or significantly higher slip resistance than the Fuji originals? I haven't been able to try either and the others are too wide. And that's the first part. So let's deal with that one first. So camera straps. Yeah, I've got simpler on... Um, oh, did you see did that, you see that, that red kite flying straight towards us? Yeah. Woo, it's got a death wish. Anyway, I've got a yeah, simpler strap and I use Peak Design. Um, I love Peak... I love both, actually. Peak, Peak Design. I quite like the, um, the, the, the way Peak Designs actually um, connect to your, your camera. They seem to... A nice rigid system of connecting to your camera. Um, what do you use? Well, I, I actually use um, the simpler stuff. I, I never use the Fujifilm camera straps. The, the ones that come with the GFX are really nice, but the ones that come with the X-Pros and X-T3s I, I think are not very good. Um, but if you, re if you really want a non-slip uh, non strap, that's not easy to say, is it? A non-slip strap that really truly does not slip but is not particularly attractive to look at then you want to get an up strap U-P-S-T-R-A-P oh, yeah. I have some of those and uh, they're I, American aren't they it's American uh, you'd have to if you're not was he in America uh, um, he is in Swindon Wiltshire <laughs> just down road from you alright oh, well you can just come around my house and have a look at my up straps if you want quite happy um yeah, upstrap. You have to get them imported, but it's well worth it because they are the the, the top of the the strap, the bit that's not slippy, is made of Kevlar. Um, so Kevlar. it's also bulletproof. <laughs> Whoa! Um, but yeah, upstraps, upstrap. U P S T R A P. Microphones is part two. I'd like to start delving into video with my X Pro Two to start with, even though I appreciate that there are better cameras for it. Um, I've recently inherited two new and unopened Zoom mics. One is an F1SP, and the, uh, the, that's the shotgun mic version. The other is an F1LP that comes with the uh, lavalier mic or lapel mic, if you like. What's the difference? Can I use either directly with the X-Pro2? Is one better than the other? Well, they're two very different kinds, kinds of microphone, really, Paul. Uh, one you use to point at people because it's a shotgun mic. Um, and the other one, of course, you're, you're using uh, a lapel mic to be close to the, the actual sound source. So if you're recording an interview, I would probably use the lapel in, in this kind of situation because the, um, the, the shotgun mic, the F1 shotgun mic, is, is, is an okay shotgun mic, but it's not fantastic. It's not like buying a, a Zoom NTG3 or something. So that's what I would suggest. But in terms of the X-Pro2, is that a 3.5mm jack? X Pro 2 is 2.5, I think. I think. I might be wrong. X Pro 3 is definitely 3.5. Yeah. I'm fairly sure X Pro 2 is 2.5, so you need a little adapter. And the XT2 and the XT3 are both 3.5, aren't they? Yes. So, so you're going to need a, an adapter if you want to put it straight through They're the. Dirty, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but the only thing I was going to say is um, that the. Oh, that was a funny sound off the. If you just run something over. The only thing I would say is that the preamps in the uh, X-Pro2, or, or any cameras really, DSLRs, mirrorless, are, are not usually the, the best preamps in the world. So I'd, I'd actually pop your uh, sound into um, 
a, a separate audio source and then mix it afterwards, wouldn't you? Yeah, I never do any. I never record. I, mind you, saying that the the onboard audio is on the XT3. Oh yeah, uh, is pretty good uh, as as it goes uh, for background and reference. Yeah, but Ooh, I, I mean, yeah. not 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 in a shotgun situation. No, no, I wouldn't have thought so. So I I when I'm doing it, I go to it. I have no idea what it's called. It's a little red box with knobs on. <laughs> it's got a uh, uh, you can put the three pin uh, what they call XLR Excellent. jacks into it and stuff. Um, yeah, I can't. I don't know what it's called. It's a Tascam. That's it. Tascam. Oh, the one that bolts underneath the camera. Yeah. yeah. The Tascam something or other. It's a little red box with um, knobs and buttons and stuff like that. And that's a good preamp, is it? Yeah, seems to be. I think so. Put your little SD card in there. It takes about eight AA batteries, which last no time at all for some reason. Uh, but yeah, it seems pretty good. I think it was about £350. I'm sure that there's newer versions and smaller and better and ones that aren't red. Is it time to stop for a coffee? Yeah, shall we? Where to buy, do you think? Well, not right here, because we're on a motorway. But... Okay. There's a caravan ahead of us. No, he's, he's got a black he's, bull. He's, he's, he's from southern Spain. What? The little black bull. See the black bull? Oh, yeah. Is it a black bull? Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's uh, a Swiss number plate, though. Oh, yeah. There, there goes your theory. Right. Yeah. Let's go find a McDonald's. Something very, oh. something very Swiss. Get in trouble again. <laughs> And so it's time to return home and we hope you've enjoyed being our travel companions and squeezing into um, squeezing into our camera bags. Um, most of our shows are studio bound, so it's fantastic to get out and about and instead of taking a week off, actually take you with us. Next part of the show is a little noisy for reasons that will become obvious, but you have to stick around for Mickey, um, who you've heard mentioned a couple of times, who's our new favourite man in the world. Yeah, I love Mickey. I Mickey bring, the monk. I wanted to bring him home. <laughs> Sure, he might have. He might have agreed to that. Hey, Mickey, he was lovely, you're wasn't so he? Pretty. <laughs> no, no, you're so fine. Hey, Mickey, you're. No, oh yeah, that's I, right. I yeah. doubt he knows that song. No, I but have um, so. I've. I, he's now. A, he's a. Um, he's a friend of mine on WhatsApp, oh. and he's just in there as Mickey Monk. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the monk, the best man, the groom's best friend. Um, and we're going to end with a Tibetan prayer. Yes, you heard it. Uh, never done on this show before. This show has been no- nothing you've not furnished with a little audio texture this week. First up, though, some more of your questions recorded in Geneva Airport in one of the surprise, surprise bars with uh, our very expensive beer awaiting a flight back. So how long have we got before we uh, we board? It's ten past seven now. Flight is at 9.05. Right, so first of all, apologies. We don't, we don't know what this is going to sound like because we're in a, an airport bar and there's a, there, there's a little bit of a hum in the background. That's the cheese, I think, isn't it? They, uh, the raclette. That's a horrible smell. What is it? But the um, the raclette is, is like a big half, uh, it's not Edam, but it's a big half round cheese. And then you melt it over uh, uh, like a candle or something. And then you have cheese, uh, bread and meats and stuff. And you dip it into the, the molten cheese. Sounds nice, but it smells rank. Really nice. Not good for me. Oh, okay. Not good for your gout. Actually, no, it doesn't. Also, you can't have it now, can yeah, you? Because of your, I mean. yeah. your newfound vegan status. <laughs> Sam actually just texted me to say, how's Veganuary going? Uh, because I did say to her before we headed out on this trip, I said, you know what, I'm going to make re- every effort 
to be like, hashtag be like Kev, and, and eat vegan. First day we go to McDonald's, I'm having whatever it was, Big Tasty. You're going for the vegan burger. And I thought, that's all right, I, I, the rest of the time I can be good. And then every morning the bacon came out, smelt really nice. I don't know how you do it, to be honest. I really don't. I'll just look at you. <laughs> that's enough reason, isn't it? So I'm going to whip through some Facebook stuff. Um, Carl Hare, for the first time in three and a half years, I've spent the evening in the bathroom de developing some of my own black and white film. God, that was hard work getting the, the film on the reels for, for my Patterson tanks. I don't remember it being that difficult. Did, did you ever do any black and white work? What, in film? In film, yeah. No. So you never had that experience of trying to get the film onto a, a roll and no. debbing it? And with, 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 does it interest you at all? Mm, not particularly, no. I have to say. I like You're not the interested idea. in becoming one of the so-called purists? No. That I like... can only do photography because they did film? No, I like the, I like the idea of shooting film yeah. for it, uh, from a cathartic point of view I have no real intention of developing it and, and of course Carl, Carl works for Fujifilm he's one of the product specialists oh is he yeah so oh. he's, he's a brilliant photographer oh, as well nice to see Carl, Carl in the Facebook group yeah he's a nice chap too well, I thought we'd whiz through these Facebook um, mm. messages because because the Facebook group is really good at the moment it's really grown you used to shoot film yeah I did I've, I shot film when I won it first yeah yeah and I did my imprints mm. yeah Peter Kasberger, mod moderator. I was listening to the Christmas Fuji cast, and the discussion about Kevin Neal's three wise photographers caught my attention. The names mentioned are obviously fantastic photographers, but it made me wonder about something I thought a lot over the last few years, which is, how much of the great iconic photos of the past were due to the photographer or due to the environment and or, or circumstance? Now, the picture he's talking about here is the, the famous Situation Room picture where um, Obama was watching the operation where Osama bin, bin Laden was killed, yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay. But if, if that guy hadn't taken a picture in a Situation Room, the picture would not have been nearly so successful yes, or so even as interesting. You know, a boardroom picture of, of a few people sort of uh, pondering over a, a it, spreadsheet. It's the content... It's content. It's, content, isn't it? Well, it's the content of the moment in the context of history rather than the art of the photograph in that case. Yeah. Basically, is it, is it position, luck, timing, all of that that makes a picture? And, and, and yeah, I mean, for example, if you just pick up, let's just say, Fan Ho from Asia and dump him in Swindon. Yeah. Wet Wednesday afternoon. Wet Wednesday afternoon in Swindon. You know, most people are at the bingo. What's, you know, is he going to be, find anybody to photograph with all that lovely, beautiful shade and shadow and tall buildings? Yeah. He's not. That doesn't mean to say he wouldn't be able to produce amazing work, but it, it, to a certain extent, it does depend on where he is at the time. And, and, and you know, and that's, I suppose that's part of what makes a great photographer, isn't it? You know, he's, he puts himself in, in front of opportunity. And, you know, then that's, that's part of the battle, isn't it? You know, we, we, we do it in, in, in the point of weddings. We, you know, people who are not wedding photographers might look at our pictures and go, oh, my God, they're amazing wedding pictures. I wish, you know, I wish whatever, I could take pictures like that. You know, but they're not going to weddings or, you know, they, whatever. They don't have kids to do the family photos of. Uh, you know, you've got, to, you've got to be in front of it to take it. Luke Bailey wrote in, hi everybody, so in the Facebook group again, look this one up, it was a discussion about photo books. Now, we did decide actually, as we were driving along arguing about the, um, 
the colour of cows, which you thought was purple. In uh, well, where did the milk come <laughs> from then? Well, there, there, there didn't seem there was disturbing lack of, of milk in no, this airport. None in this airport. And it's all like doubled in price and it's all a fancy make now. What's happened to the milk? Anyway, he says, uh, hi everybody, I've come to the decision that my lack of photo books is disturbing. I need some in my life. As I don't have any, what would be people's top recommendations? Go on, give Luke an idea of one he could, he could go for. Because you, you have a huge collection of street well, I've got, photo books. I've got loads, but it's, the thing about street photography is very subjective, isn't it? And you, you could go for Fan Ho if you like the grainy black and white stuff, or you know, you can. Well, I, I do a lot yeah. of Kickstarter, I, I back a lot of books on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know the John Bulmer stuff, the North, all of that stuff was on Kickstarter. And isn't the, the new um, Sean Tucker book Sean, out? That's Sean collection Tucker, three is I out. Have, that should be waiting for me when I get home. Ooh. In fact, I ordered that. Uh, it's been sent. So yes, that should be there, Sean Tucker. Um, but what we will do though is we will we will each of us will uh, in alternative weeks bring a book to the studio and we'll have a little chat about it, and then we'll put the uh, the notes on our. Uh, Fujikas website, of course. Adam Beale, I was going to send this question to Kev and Neil, but I thought I'd, I'd open it to the group. So he put this in the Facebook group. He was in a coffee shop in Bath warming up. And it was about street photography, so it's apposite when you th- think about the last thing we talked about. Do you find street photography a bit imitate, uh, intimidating? Not imitate, intimidating at first. I've only ever really done travel street when others, all the missus has been with me, trying to get into street more, and I'm in Bath alone for the first time. And I, I think he was being a bit intimidated to go out and actually start ta- taking and making some pictures. Any advice? Yeah, I mean, it is intimidating, isn't it? It's, it's, it's intimidating whether you've been doing it on the first day or, or all your life, I guess. You know, it's, it's, it's a not a natural thing to do, to go and kind of take pictures of strangers without them noticing. So in that, in that case, that sense, it would be intimidating. But, you know, what, just because some people do street photography in a purely candid way and doesn't mean that that's the way that you have to do it, Adam. You know, you can... You can choose to do street portraits, or you can do, choose to, you know, use your uh, camera on the table and just take long exposures of the people going by. You know, whatever it doesn't matter. But what you mustn't do is is be be scared of it because then that will stop you enjoying it. So is, find a is, route that is, you enjoy. Is street photography portrait work then? Uh, can it be contrived? Does it or, or does it have to be? I think hiding in whatever, the shadows. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to call there's it. There's no rule. No, there's no rule. No. You know, whatever you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks, Adam. Um, here's one. Hi, all. Gear. I know I didn't have a name for this this uh, particular comment, but I thought it was good. It was in the Facebook group. Gear and opinion question with a trusty gang shooting a wedding for some friends later this year. Want to keep things minimal. Two cameras, two lenses, mainly so I can keep an adult beverage in my camera bag. X100F with a conversion lens uh, and an XE3. So it's running through several options in mind but would love some group insight on what approach one might take with another lens to complement the X100F and a conversion lens. Well, I think straight away I would go for um, something like a a 56mm to give me the 85mm length, because if he's got the X100F... Is that the wide conversion or teleconversion? Well, if it's a wide conversion lens, it makes sense what I'm suggesting, but it doesn't so much if he's got the tele, does it? No, exactly. It doesn't say, does it? No. Just well, let, let's assume that he's got an X100F just, just as it is, which is a 23mm lens, which is the, the equivalent of 35mm in full frame terms. Yeah. So my suggestion is 56mm. What would you Yeah, 56 Always 56 Or the 50 F2 if, uh, you know, if budget and size is a little bit of a 
a consideration. Yeah, 50, 56, that kind of 80, 70, 75, 85 full frame proper range. Morton Jensen, I'd love to hear a podcast with a food photographer in the coming year. David Loftus, for instance, doing food photography. You don't even have to get out of your house, but it, as in other types of photography, light is crucial and an interesting topic as well as plating how to shoot brown food and so on. Have you ever done any food photography? Uh, never. Well, not, no, no, not really. I mean, well, not with any artistic merit. What's the name of that fellow on Instagram? Dennis Depensky, isn't it? <laughs> Dennis, Dennis the, the Menace. Dennis the Depensky. No, oh, that's it. Dennis yeah. the Prescott. That's the one you. That's the one you mean, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Dennis the friend. Dennis the Prescott. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, I've never done it, but we should get somebody on. It's really interesting. David some great. some food is amazing. Some I've, food photography is amazing. Well, I've written to to, to David, and uh, we'll see the answers. Right, should we do some questions? Yes. Shall I read them? Yes. There's only a few. Kevin, Tom Richardson. Hello, Neil and Kevin, rather. I have a question about pricing. Recently started doing my wedding photo business this year in the Northeast. Current rate is a rather modest 850. I set this price according to my relative experience level and number of jobs completed. What I've found, however, is that my business has performed better than I expected, which isn't a bad thing, and I'm almost fully booked for next year. I wish I'd started off at a higher price. You know, we had a question about this only last week or the week before. What is your advice for increasing your prices as your business grows, and how do you justify higher prices for clients? Should I jump straight into a higher bracket or increase slowly? And he also had a second part here. Do you guys ever ever do promotions, competitions, or offers? Tom, Newcastle, upon time. And if that person scrapes their chair one more time. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> Man, what, what kind of people just get up properly? Yeah, really. It's lazy. Are they big? Should I turn around and say it? Oh, no, it's the guy with the T-shirt on that says Anti-Social Club written on it. I'm not going to fight with him. <laughs> it did say Anti-Social Club on his T-shirt. Um, okay, so, first of all, I would say, uh, if this is the first year, £850 is... It's modest, but I don't think that's unreasonable, yep. to be honest with you. Uh, I think that's a very good rate. And if, if, uh, if you've managed to get fully booked based on 850 quid, then good for you. Absolutely good for you. It's a daily yeah. rate commercial photographers will be happy with, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, sure. 850. Yeah, of okay, course. so you know, you're a factor in the fact that there's edit time. It's more than I started that. Is it? What were you? I think I did my very first one for 600. Six? Wow. Oh, okay. 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the um, the fact is the way that the way that I kind of dealt with this when this happened to me was uh, I ended up shooting 69, 70 weddings. Oh, you had a manic year, didn't you? Yeah. So you you had to mind you. You've shot more than that. I, I've you, done you, one year. I did eighty six. That's just you, you. You have to be reasonable. You, you know, it's it's not. I don't know what he means by fully booked. Fully booked might be five weddings. Might be ten weddings. Might yeah. be twenty weddings. Let's just say it's twenty weddings. It doesn't mean that if you suddenly start charging eight hundred fifty times two is sixty is seventeen hundred. Um, it doesn't mean that you will shoot 10 weddings next year at exactly and get this, exactly the same net price yeah it just doesn't work like that so the way that I would typically approach it is by increasing putting the increase in in increments so for next year charge your first five weddings at your 850 price if that's if you're happy with that and once you hit five knock that up to a thousand when you hit 10 knock it up to 1250 perhaps when you hit 15, knock it up to 1,500. When you hit 20... So ramp it. Yeah, ramp it. Kevin Beersley, this one's been touched on the show a little bit. I'd be interested in your own personal take on this. Photo burnout. 
or more specifically creative burnout. I feel like I've got to that stage. I've only been in the business nearly five years. I'm a pet and portrait photographer. What do you do to get the mojo back? We can't afford all afford a photo trip like Patrick the Rock's amazing trip across Canada that he talked about on one of the very, very early shows. I think it was about episode, maybe it was one or two. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was all the Right back, right Kevin. Well, well done for listening that long. Yeah. Um, photo burnout, he's only been in five years. Yeah, what do you do to get your mojo back? How would you do it? You've been, you've been at this game longer than... Well, not that much longer than you, but I have to say, yeah. I've, I've almost had photo burnout on many occasions, particularly, I say many, a handful, particularly when I've done years of 80, 85, 86 weddings. They were really difficult, particularly when um, you know, my wife said to me at one stage, do you know, I, I appreciate what you do, but to be honest, I do feel a bit like a single parent. That was a, that was a bit of a slap around the face. But, but honestly, this is, and we've mentioned this a few times, I think we had a uh, uh, message a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, about this, mm-hmm. and been fully booked already for two years ahead, and people really do need to understand that it's much more than just keeping the prices down and getting as many bookings in as possible. You have to, you have to approach wedding photography as a proper business with an economic game plan. And it's not just it's not just good enough to go. Oh, I'm just going to charge 350 quid because 350 quid is sounds like a good rate on a Saturday. I'm you know I've got a day job and all that kind of stuff, so I'll do that because then the bookings will come in rightly so because you're all wonderful photographers, and then you'll get another one, then another one, and another one, and before you know it, you're going to be at 80 weddings, and you know that is not good for your personal. But, but of course, you, life. you could take down the amount of bookings, but you, you still might find your, your mojo has yeah, suffered. And absolutely, yeah, yeah, I think. Maybe they're the times where you think, right, okay, what, what am I doing? And, and is the project I'm working on at the moment um, actually something that's going to fund what I really want to do in the future? And I think sometimes that can give you an injection of, of energy and enthusiasm for what you're doing. Do you know what I honestly think, um, because it's happened to me, is the enthusiasm for taking pictures never goes away. The, the love of it, the, the want to make the pictures never goes away. But other things in your life are the things that get in the way, that stop you. And, that, and I don't mean like the wife or the husband or the kids or anything. It could be just the psychology of thinking you're not good enough. It could be the fact that you are just too busy in other stuff. It could be you know, the fact that you, you, you know, your computer is not fast enough or you, you, you suffer from gas and you don't think you've got the right camera or, or the person down the road... <laughs> the person down the road... You know, the person down the road has, has got a brand new car and you think, shit, why can't I get a brand new car? I need to work harder. And then the thought that you're not working hard enough makes you depressed and then you lose the mojo. And So, my, you know, the, the, the want to actually take the pictures probably doesn't go away, but the, the symptoms of what's causing that might be something different. Do you think personal projects can help restore your mojo? I mean, that's essentially what Patrick Laroque did. I mean, yes, he went on this beautiful long car trip, but it was a personal project. Yeah, I, I think personal projects are yeah, can help, of course. But at the same time, it's still the, the things that can get in the way of taking a picture of of your kids in the morning, the same things that can get in the way of doing personal projects. You have to have, to do a personal project properly, you, you know, you have to have an effervescence for it. You have to really, really commit to it and do it properly and get off your butt. And, you know, a, a personal project of any, of any kind of merit and length is, is a really hard piece of uh, something to do, you know. And I, and I don't consider just kind of street photography as a personal project or, you know, London by night or whatever. It's 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 it should be something that at the end of the day you you, you know you really want to show off in a book or a exhibition or something. 
it just just don't lose the lose the passion don't lose the passion okay um, James Lawrence last week was on the show and he was talking about he was part of the debate about the the way that uh, CV Vickers um, treat wedding photographers and he, he was um, it was appropriate. Not just CFE, I guess, but priests. Yeah, but, but I suppose CFE because um, he is a trainer for clergy, isn't he? So that that's you know that's his that's his knowledge base, and he wrote us a code of conduct, and he suggested. Well, he was su suggesting, would it be a good idea if photographers were to carry a code of conduct? The points he, he had on his code of conduct were, one, I will respect the solemn nature of the service. Two, I'll not intrude in any aspect of the service. Three, I'll keep as quiet as possible. Four, I'll not use distracting flash. Five, I'll not block up the aisles of my camera gear. Six, I'll respect the building and not climb on pews. Seven, I will aim to be hardly noticeable. Eight, I'll be at the church in plenty of time to meet you and check through any final details before the service starts. And he's saying that if we had a code of conduct and we were able to send this to the, the, the vicar before a wedding, that they might, might look at this and think, okay, this, this person seems like a, an admirable professional. I'll not cause them any grief on the day. Would that be a good idea? Well, I'm, my, I'm not seeing your instant enthusiasm Firstly, for my, my answer to that is I, I, I honestly hope that all wedding photographers abide to those well, points you know anyway. Uh, I think the majority of them do. The uh, majority of them do. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because for a lot of people, church means nothing. For other people, it means more, you know. And, uh, you know, you have different opinions on what's right and what's wrong and, and all that kind of stuff. I believe that most people, regardless of faith and everything, would generally be obedient to most of those things, just from common sense. Who stands on the pews in a church? Why? Apparently we do. Honestly. A lot. Would you, know, would you like it if some stranger came around your house and stood on your sofa? Well, I, think, I think Sam would have something to say about it. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Don't go to the church of Sam and stand on her settee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, don't go, I tell you what, you go in with shoes on in our house. The amount of people that come around to, you know... I um, always do that. Fit, <laughs> yeah. No, I know, but you're OK, because you come in the back door. We <laughs> oh, never let you yeah. through the front door. Yeah. You can't go through the main entrance. You're not allowed. You have to come through the, where the staff come through. And so we, we can't allow you any access to somewhere. Because she know, I tell you what, she's like a, ra like a radar. She will see your boot mark on, on the first bit of wooden floorboard. And what happens then? Well, I, well I'll get blamed initially. And then because Get that money is ready again with this size eight well, three quarters. Because I'm a good mate, I'll say that it's this. You know, I'm so sorry. You know, I won't. I won't dob you in. But then she'll get out her tape measure, okay, and, she, and, she, and she'll say, "No, that's Kev's shoe, not yours." And you don't have that make of shoe. She's like a, detect, shoe, a shoe detective. I'm telling you. Right, Kev. Let's close today's show then with. Um, it's not Miki. It's Mishi. 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 Mishi Monk. Mishi Monk. Um, talk about the moment that, that he, he did his prayer because we weren't expecting it, were we? What, in the civil ceremony? Yeah. Ah, yeah, it was yeah. hair spine tingling, it wasn't was, it? Yeah. Well, if you have hair. <laughs> yeah, no, it was absolutely beautiful. What a beautiful man he is. Yeah. You know, there is, there, there's a lot of things I took away from him um, and, and, and that was mostly his entire, his benevolent attitude to absolutely everything yeah. in life. And if more of us could be like that, it would be great. You know, such a calm, collected person um very hungry man though <laughs> <laughs> he 
Yes. Every time we saw we saw him. Sorry, Mishi, about this, but every because he did say he might listen. Every time we saw him near, <laughs> near food, he was going back for another plateful, wasn't yeah. he? I, I, Mishi should be huge, but he's he's a, a proper slim Jim of a chap. I'm guessing he doesn't get to eat too much over in his uh, monastery in India. But no, what a beautiful man. A it's, really it's, beautiful man. It's now become a phrase between us that if, if I, I went back, I think, for a second croissant or something on the on the last day, and Kev said, you're doing a Mishi. <laughs> anyway, um, the prayer. Okay. Um, Rather than us tell you what it's about, just a little succinct piece um, from, from Mishi to tell us what this prayer that he was about to read as the wedding reading was all about. And so it's supposed to be like a very, um, it's like a lineage prayer that has a, uh, you know, a very good history. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it, because it encompasses like the, the, um, the three most important things, which are the selflessness and the compassion for, for all beings. And so that's like embodied in a very like pithy, small, potent little prayer which is, which is why uh, you know it's 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 very often recited in, in you know uh, in in in, uh, in in the school of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Thank you for listening to our Swiss Destination special. Next week, we're back in the studio. The main theme was by Blue Wednesday, supporting music from Art List. Send your questions to click at fujicast.co.uk and the show was a Loading Zone production. Auf Wiedersehen bis nächste Woche.